we evolved to be physically active for two reasons and two reasons only, when it was necessary and rewarding, right? People went out to hunt and they went out to gather, or they danced or they played, right, when it was useful for them, right? And if we want to make physical activity more popular, we need to make it necessary and rewarding. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Daniel Lieberman, professor of human evolutionary biology at Harvard and chair of that department at Harvard University. Dr. Lieberman is also the author of numerous books, most recently one titled Exercised, Why Something We Never Evolved to Do is Healthy and Rewarding. Dr. Lieberman took time out of his busy teaching and research schedule to join us on the Barbend Podcast. We discuss why humans evolved for a very different lifestyle than we live today, and why exercise has become something many people dread, while others embrace it in various forms. We also discuss which exercise modalities come most naturally to humans and how we as a society can promote healthier living through better incentive and support structures around activity. I do want to take a second to say that we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbed Podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. Uh, Professor Daniel Lieberman, or just Daniel, or just Dan. I'm. I, you have to forgive me. Sometimes I, I have uh, trouble addressing professors like I'm not in college anymore. But it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. And today we're talking about your work in a book called Exercised. And I'm curious. You're someone with a lengthy and accomplished career in the biological sciences. Why did you decide to pursue a book about exercise? Well, I study the evolution of human physical activity and how and why our bodies are the way they are. And um, so it's a topic I've been interested in a long time. And um, my previous book um, was called The Story of the Human Body, Evolution, Health, and Disease. And it's really about mismatched diseases, how our bodies are poorly adapted for the world that we've kind of created for ourselves and why that, why that makes us sick. Um, and, um, and, and while I was finishing that book, this is a true story. So there really was a moment. Sometimes a book starts with a moment, and this book really did. Uh, so I was finishing up that book. I was putting up the sort of final touches on the book, and I got invited to Ironman in Kona. Uh, there's a medical conference that precedes the race every year. It's the best medical conference on the planet, by the way. If you ever get get a chance to go, it's just awesome. And uh, and then you get to watch the race. I, I'm not a I'm not a triathlete. There's I love to run. I like to bike, but no, no way would I do that kind of open water swimming. 2.4 mile open water swim is not for me. Um, anyway, so um, I was having fun and I enjoyed the race, but you know, it's kind of crazy what those people do, right? That's, that's a, you know, it's, you know, to, to do that, you know, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, then a marathon in, in a little over eight hours is just astonishing, right? That's not a human accomplishment. Anyway, so I, I left that race feeling pretty astonished and, and also very pleased not to be an Ironman. And then I, a, a few, you know, not, not long after, I was in, in northern Mexico doing field work with the Tara Humara, who are famous for their long distance running. And they have their, their famous sort of races that are kind of Ironman like, you know, they're like, you know, they go on forever and ever. And I was like wondering, what's going on? Why do a small number of people do this? 
And, um, and I was interviewing, you know, I was collecting data and I talked to one elderly guy who actually raced. He was one of the racers because most Tyramar, by the way, do not run long distances. That's one of the myths about, about exercise. And one of them is that, uh, you know, people who are uncontaminated by civilization just, you know, can do whatever they want, lift huge rocks over their heads and, and run ultra marathons. That's just nonsense. But anyway, so I asked this guy like how he trained and, and, you know, everybody had been asking before about training didn't really understand my question because they don't train. They don't have a, even a word for it. And, um, and he, then he, when I explained it to him through this interpreter who was explaining, you know, this gringo, you know, he runs five miles every morning to, to get fit, you know, and whatever. And he looked at me and he said, why would anybody run if they didn't have to? And like, here's a guy who runs like 50, 60 mile races, right? And suddenly just, it's like, you know, I had that sudden realization that of, among the many things that are weird about the modern world, right? going to school, reading, wearing shoes, um, exercise is also one of them because physical activity is moving. It's like using your body um, to, to, to do stuff. But, but, but exercise is defined as voluntary, discretional, discretionary physical activity for the sake of health and fitness. And not even these guys who run, you know, like the, you know, the, in the Taramara, they don't consider it exercise. It's a form of prayer for them. It's not a, they don't do it for health and fitness. It's a completely modern, abnormal, strange thing. And I, I had this sudden thought that, you know, we're exercised about exercise. People are confused, anxious, um, ambivalent, um, fed up with being nagged about it. And, 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 you know, people who brag about it, you know, it's very off-putting. Um, people don't know what to do. We're exercised about exercise. And to start understanding that, to start unraveling that, we have to first understand that we're asking people to choose to do something that's inherently unnatural. It's not bad for you, but it's inherently unnatural. Until we get that under our belt, we're never going to make any serious progress. Well, one thing that I've find interesting, and I've been very fortunate to host well over 100 episodes of, of this podcast, and our audience is people who tend to enjoy exercise. Now, it's specific forms of exercise. It's certainly not completing an Ironman, and it might not be running 50, 60 miles, although we do have some listeners who do that. This is a podcast that's popular among people who like lifting heavy things, and oftentimes when asked, well, why do you like lifting heavy things? I hear the joking response, because it's there. I want to pick up that heavy object because it's there. People, some, some of these people do lift heavy rocks over their heads. So as much as exercise can be arduous, it can be something that isn't enjoyable. Why is it that certain subsets of the population you think gravitate toward the expression of exercise or toward training as a hobby, as something they enjoy? Well, because once you start doing it, it's rewarding and it's fit, but also it's a luxury of the modern world. I mean, you, if you were a hunter-gatherer, you wouldn't be lifting weights like that. It would be a really stupid thing to do because... Bulking up like that requires you to, you know, consume way more calories uh, than you otherwise would get, and you don't need to be that strong. It's actually, it's actually maladaptive to to bulk up to get totally ripped if you're a hunter gatherer because, because, you know, it's 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 nonsensical. So today we do all kinds of things that we you know, that are unnatural, right? We read, you know, nobody read until a few, th- and I love to read, right? I, I, um, I run marathons and nobody did that before either. I mean, we're, we're capable of all kinds of wonderful things, but let's be honest about them. They're not natural. Some of us choose to do them and we get rewards for doing it. You get that dopamine hit, right? From, from running a, a long distance or from lifting weights. And that molecule tells you to do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. But 
Dopamine doesn't make you want to do it. Dopamine rewards you after you do it. And so for those of people who aren't fit, who aren't strong, it's not fun at all, right? <laughs> and think about no pain, no gain, right? Um, that is not, for most people, an idea of a good time. It is for a very small set of people, all power to them. I've got nothing against it, but it's, let's not pretend it's normal. Let's talk about that dopamine hit. Some people might call it a, a runner's high if, if you lift weights and you enjoy that as a hobby. It's the feeling of, of lifting something you know you couldn't have lifted previously, perhaps. And, and in addition, there is this kind of uh, physical component. It's almost like we're getting addicted to the exercise if that becomes something we pursue. Is, is that a, a framework of thinking about it that you think would be appropriate? Well, sure. I mean, and we actually understand some of those mechanisms. So, so when you when you when you're physically active, you actually not only produce dopamine, you also upregulate the receptors. So we all know the feeling, right? If you don't exercise for a few days and you're you're normally exercised, right? You get that, you know, you drive your partner crazy, right? I mean, I I, I get irritable and 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 twitchy, and I'm just not happy in my body, etc. But that's because I got all these hungry dopamine receptors, and they they want. They, they want their hit, right? So that's what makes me addicted to it. And um, But the vast majority of us aren't that far along, right? Most people aren't at that level. And by the way, just so you know, a runner's high is totally different. Runner's high is call, caused by endocannabinoids, the same stuff that's in, in marijuana, right? And you actually not only produce the, um, the, the cannabinoids, endocannabinoids, you also produce the receptors, which is why a runner's high is is really way more amazing than anything you can get from from smoking, right? It's uh, it's quite an exceptional thing. Um, just have to experience it to to you have to do it to experience it to really kind of understand it. But it's um, but those are so so natural selection has created various mechanisms to reward us. But remember, here's the key thing: it wasn't optional in the past to do physical activity. We had to do them. So we there wasn't as much selection to get people to do this kind of stuff. Because it, you couldn't not do it, right? <laughs> nobody, nobody lived back. If you didn't weren't physically active back in the Stone Age, uh, you would die, right? And you're, nobody would want to be around you. You'd be you'd be marooned on an iceberg or whatever, right? So, uh, so it's so we're we never evolved to in the same way to kind of get ourselves active because there was. It, you know, it's just like we never evolved to diet. I mean, nobody was overweight back in the in the day, right? So people didn't have to lose weight. Um, and when when you try to lose weight, you go into you know what's called a starvation response, right? That's a that's an ancient adaptation to prevent you from losing weight, right? And then you have to overcome that, which is why it's so hard to diet. So just as we never evolved to diet, we never evolved to to you know do unnecessary huge amounts of physical activity. It can be enjoyable, it can be rewarding, um, but it's not, you know, it's, it's hard for most people. So there's a small subset of people who got it and they're doing just fine. But I'm not worried about them. I'm not worried about most of your listeners. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the other 80% of Americans who are um, physically inactive, struggling to, uh, to be more active, and then and then they see, you know, people like me who brag about, you know, their, their marathons or maybe people like you who brag about how much they can deadlift or whatever. And it just pisses them off, right? It makes them irritated. The, I call the people like that exorcists. And I think we need to, um, and I think we, you know, we need to realize that um, um, it's not working for them. 
Well, first off, I do appreciate you explaining the difference between a runner's high and maybe the dopamine response that I that I was referencing from exercise. It's not a Barbin podcast episode unless I get schooled at least once <laughs> on something. So I really do appreciate that. And that's that's an interesting clarification. Let's talk a little bit about that. This 80% of the population that your work is really aimed at, that you're really concerned about. This is interesting because we have on this call two people who enjoy exercising, right? Talking about people who don't enjoy exercising or about how difficult exercising can be. And one thing you focus on in the book is not that there's going to be a single flip the switch solution and every suddenly everyone's going to start exercising. And you also talk a bit a bit a bit about the guilt complexes and how we will often guilt people or how people might feel guilty because they're not as active. What are some of the changes that in your research have come to mind or that you might start recommending at a societal level? to get people more active in a way that's actually conducive to long-term health? Well, well, thanks for asking that question because it's a really important question. So I would say that the first thing to recognize is that, um, well, here's the example I like to use. We've all been in a, in a mall or an airport or a subway stop or something like that where there's an escalator next to a stairway, right? And, and oftentimes an elevator under the escalator and the stairway. Yeah, whatever. Yeah that, yeah. yeah, that too. Whatever, whatever. And all of us, no matter who you are, unless you're a freak of nature, all of us have a little inner voice that say, take the escalator, right? We all want to do that. I certainly have that, right? And, um, and the reason I take the stairway is that if anybody sees me taking the escalator, I'll be called out as a hypocrite, right? But I, but I want to take the escalator just like anybody else, even though there were no escalators in the Stone Age, right? So we shouldn't shame people for that little inner voice. That's a totally natural inner voice. And yet we do. We call them lazy. We make them feel bad about themselves. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is to recognize that, um, that when people um, get you know, barraged with information about just how much they should do, and, and we read about elite athletes who are you know, the fastest, the strongest, etc. I mean, most of our focus on, on, on exercises on elite athletes and on, on, on performance and maxing out and doing as well as you can, well, that has really little to do with most people, and it's off-putting, and it's actually irrelevant to most people. And the other thing is we also tend to focus on exercise for weight loss. Weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. Everybody's, everything's viewed through the context of weight loss. And yes, there are a lot of people who are struggling to lose weight, but that's not the only reason to exercise, and it's a very narrow lens to think about it. And then the final thing I would point out, and maybe the most important thing, is that we evolved to be physically active for two reasons and two reasons only, when it was necessary and rewarding. Right? People went out to hunt and they went out to gather, or they danced or they played right, when it was useful for them. Right? And if we want to make physical activity more popular, we need to make it necessary and rewarding. Right? And so just telling somebody to just do it and you know, to prescribe you know, working out on a treadmill like taking cod liver oil, you know, well, we know it doesn't work. Right? So let's have people find ways to make it fun. Right? Prescribing it doesn't make it fun. Uh, it makes just you know it's and we know it doesn't work. I mean the evidence is just in front of our faces, right? So so let's make it necessary and rewarding. And I think one way to do that is through commitment contracts, right? Think about school. School is a commitment contract. So you went to my university, to Harvard, right? You paid. I don't know what you paid, or your parents paid, or somebody paid a bit, ungodly amount of money, like sixty, seventy thousand dollars, <laughs> for people like me to torture you, right? I gave you, I made you read books, I made you take exams. If you didn't do well, I gave you a bad grade, um, um, and yet you paid for the privilege to be forced to do that. Why? Because we know that we don't do this on our own. 
you need some you need a commitment contract and i and 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 you need a reward and you also it's also fun there's you know there's clubs there's musical groups there's the dining hall all the friends you know all the people you can date etc you know all the things that are great about college make it rewarding in socially right and so we make it necessary and we make it fun and if we're going to make people help people be more physically active we need to take the exact same approach you need a commitment contract model that will make it more necessary and more fun if we do that we can we can we we can we can do much better. The problem is that that's not our society's approach. We commercialize it and we medicalize it. And that just think about like a CrossFit workout, right? So people who do CrossFit, it's fun, right? I mean, it's grueling, it's horrible. You work out, you you're sore the next day, but you have all these people who are like helping you out and cheering you on and making you, you know, you give encouragement. And also because they're expecting you to show up, you you got to show up, right? So, so that's one of the reasons why CrossFit and you know other kinds of you know group exercises or running groups or whatever. That's why they work. It's a commitment contract. The term shared suffering is something that comes up often in right. CrossFit. Shared right. being the operative word, there. right? But but the problem is the suffering part, right? <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people don't like the suffering part, and like, why do we have to? That's part of the virtue signaling of exercise, right? Why do we have to make you know, it, 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 it be suffering. It doesn't have to be suffering. Um, you know, you know, uh, just to go walk around the block is a good thing for some people. Right. But we, again, it's part of this, this kind of false virtue that we assign to, to exercise that I think is again, for many people off putting, if it works for you, that's great. But for most people, it doesn't. Something else you talk about in your book, speaking of false virtues, I'm not sure if you would specifically categorize this as one of those, but it's, overdoing it, too, the question of too much exercise. And I'm curious as to what your research, and for those who haven't read the book, but hopefully after listening to this podcast, we'll go pick up a copy and we'll also make that very easy to do in the show notes. Uh, what does your research suggest about over-exercising and in that realm? That's a really interesting question. So, you know, one of the, there's a very, very small number of human beings, tiny fraction of the population that's worried about exercising too much. And it turns out everybody I know, myself included, who studies physical activity and exercise suspects there's such a thing. But we don't actually have any good data on it, um, partly because the numbers are so small. Um, but if you, for example, just look at dose-response curves, so exercise on the horizontal axis and, and health outcomes on the y-axis, if you get out to the really, really far right part of the graph where there's like people, too much exercise, there's no evidence for a statistically increased rate of, of, of negative health outcomes from those individuals. There are certainly trade-offs. So people who do huge amounts of running might be more at risk of atrial fibrillation, but they're also less at, at less risk of, of you know, other kinds of heart disease. So you know, what's, the, what's the balance, right? Nobody really knows. Um, for those of you who are into weights, you should know um, that there are concerns about oh, too much weightlifting because of, of, um, of, hyper, of cardiac hypertrophy, which has been, uh, con- you know, and actually we published a paper a few years ago, which we showed that um, as people's hearts get thicker to respond to the res- peripheral resistance, so when you lift a huge weight, you're, 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 you're pushing blood through your body against high resistance because you have to perfuse your brain. So when you're doing that, just like any other, you know, when you're pushing with all that resistance, you have to thicken your heart wall. And there is evidence that uh, individuals who have really thick heart walls are more prone to heart disease. Now, whether that comes from from lifting or from hypertension is a big debate, and I'm not going to get into it. I'm not a cardiologist. But what we do know is that individuals who uh, engage in weightlifting 
don't get the same kind of health, only weightlifting and don't do endurance, don't get the same health benefit of people who add some endurance in. There's a very famous study that was done in Finland. So Finland's a cool study, a country to study this kind of stuff because they keep you know, nationalized healthcare. So they have data on everybody the entire country. And so they did a really fascinating study. The book is described in the book where they looked at everybody in Finland and they looked at all the Olympic athletes who did weight, you know, strength exercises versus those who did endurance exercises versus the country, country as a whole. And they looked at heart disease outcomes. And the people who did only strength training actually had lower rates of heart health and cardiovascular health than the average Finn. Whereas of course the people who did cardio, um, actually were, were, were better off. So there are, you know, you can, you, by not mixing it up, it is possible that you can overdo it, especially if you do only one thing, right? Um, that could be, that could lead to trouble. Um, but, but that's, again, we're, we're talking about such small samples. We don't have a lot of evidence on that. Well, I mean, variety in variety in one's diet is something you hear about a lot, and variety in one's exercise is something that people listening to this podcast have heard quite a bit. You know, um, yeah. So, and, and, and it has an evolutionary origin because we evolved to be endurance athletes. What humans are good at is not strength. <laughs> I mean, some of us are stronger than others, but we're not good at strength, and we're also not good at speed. You know, Usain Bolt, the fastest guy on the planet, is pathetic compared to most mammals. Right? I mean, he's fast compared to me. I could never dream of running as fast as Usain Bolt, but, but you know, my dog could probably outrun him. Okay, so um, so, but you know, but what we are good is at endurance, and 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 that has affected our biology. Right? And so it, I would argue that humans who do not engage in some degree of endurance put their, compromise their health. They, put their, they increase their vulnerability to a wide range of diseases. We, we're, we evolved to be jacks of all trades, primarily endurance athletes, but you know, we have to have some degree of strength too. And when anybody kind of goes over in one category and avoids the other categories, you know, that's, that's probably less than optimal. So for, for all of the power lifters and weightlifters listening in right now, cardio is not your enemy. We've said it on dozens of Barben podcasts before with various guests. I do want to talk a little bit more about something we talked about two questions ago, uh, which is basically how do we create these, these contracts or these systems that don't punish people or don't uh, guilt people for not exercising, but can make exercise a little bit more, uh, potentially more enjoyable, more accessible, and something that's a little bit more baked into our lives. You gave the example of one-way CrossFit sort of does that, but the virtuous signaling might also undermine uh, the goals there. What are some other structures you could imagine in society that would reward people for activity in a way that's a little bit more inclusive? I can think of thousands of ways. I mean, I mean, I mean. Let's just uh, here's one example, right? Why not have in every town, in the like a town square or whatever, on Wednesday and Friday nights, you know, music where people can dance, right? And then encourage people to come out and dance. Dancing is a fantastic form of exercise that people enjoy, right? And you know, it's endurance too. You know, it's it's cardio. It's great. Um, why not have, um, you know? more clubs, you know, or like running groups or walking groups in, 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 in workforce, like, you know, and your lunch break, why not have, you know, walk with, walk with your boss kind of stuff, you know? Um, I mean, there, there, there are so many ways that we can make, um, um, uh, sort of s social, 
uh, you know, social groups that can can make people have opportunities to be physically active with each other in ways that are enjoyable. And I think for every kind of physical activity, we can have different kinds of of social groups. It's 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 uh, it's it's going to be have to be a societal thing because obviously we can't legislate it. You can't force people to exercise, um, just like you can't prevent them from smoking. You know, people have the right to be sedentary. Um, but let's, as a society, help each other uh, compassionately by. By encouraging all these things, I one of the things I did in the book. I, one of my favorite parts of the setting the book was I went to the Bjornborg Sports Company in in Stockholm. Bjornborg is the only company in the world that requires all its employees to exercise. If you don't exercise, you're fired, basically. So I was very curious about this, and you know, kind of skeptical because it's not really my philosophy. Um, I don't, I'm not I'm not into telling people what to do, um, and yet. Um, and I was kind of amazed by how much the people in the company, they're not all, you know, exercise addicts. They're not, a lot of them only exercise because their boss forces them to do, but they all kind of grudgingly agree um, that it's actually helpful for them. And it's very social. Um, it's extremely social. And, you know, for their Christmas party, instead of having, you know, you have all getting drunk, they go for a run around Stockholm, you know. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no eggnog after. <laughs> I think they have. I think they have hot chocolate. I think that's what I was told. They have hot chocolate afterwards. Okay, um, okay, that's, so, that's that's something. So you know, I mean, gosh, they're you know, I mean, the, the sky's the limit. We can all come up with fun, and and it you know makes the employees happier, you know, and healthier. Um, so I, I have another example. Um, there's a there's a website called stick.com. Stick with two Ks. You guys, you know, you want to check it out. Um, it's a commitment contract uh, model where you can. Sign up. You can like give them like a thousand bucks, which they'll hold. You know, like you get interest on it, and you can designate a referee and then come up with a task like I'm going to walk 20 miles a week, or I want to run, you know, 20 miles a week, or whatever. And you can designate a referee, and then you can choose either a carrot or a stick. And and I have a friend, for example, whose carrot whose stick is that if she doesn't walk X number of miles a week, it sends fifty dollars to the NRA. And she's not a fan of the NRA. So it's actually kept her physically active, right? She has never missed a week, apparently, because she doesn't want $50 to go to the NRA. Now, you could pick whatever you know, charity you hate or like or whatever, but that's just like another example of a way that we can use collectively to help each other. I mean, that's kind of a silly one, but, but there are plenty of them. Well, it's a powerful example. The NRA just announced they're filing for bankruptcy. So clearly, something something works <laughs> in 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 the <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> we could we could launch an entire podcast off of your ideas for more commitment contracts and to how to get, to get the world a little bit more active. But one thing I do want to ask before our time is up: Are there any populations that you haven't been able to study in your work, whether it be working on this book or or previously in your career that you would really like to when it comes to uh, how physical activity impacts their their lives or the way that uh, they express physical activity or, or do so in their daily lives? Um, I've been really lucky. I've had the chance to travel all over the place and, 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 and see all kinds of amazing things and, 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 and meet all kinds of amazing people. Um, and, um, I can't say there's like one population. There's just, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, I'm curious about so many different traditions out there and you just, you know, you can't see them all and you, it takes time and effort and 
permits and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so a lot of my research, you know, is is by reading other people's accounts. But I've also been lucky enough to go experience things myself. You know, you know, going hunting with uh, Inuit in Greenland, and uh, you know, there are some things I didn't even get a chance to put in the book. Like um, I spent six weeks in India uh, looking for tribal uh, runners in in the Ghat Mountains. That was really amazing. Um, and we met we met uh, all kinds of just interesting characters and. And you know this, uh, I, I'm curious to to see some of these uh, Eastern traditions, like uh, Buddhist monks who do who do um, who do amazing amounts of exercise as part of their spirituality. So I could go on. There's lots and lots and lots of the world is so large and wide, and there's so many diverse ways that people use their bodies. Um, uh, uh, I, I would have a hard time saying which ones I would most want to to visit. I'm getting a, a a biology Anthony Bourdain vibe here, and I think there might be a show there oh, as gosh. well. Oh gosh! I, yeah. I, I'd watch post COVID though. Post COVID. Post COVID. Post post COVID. I think there there definitely be an audience for that. Well, Professor, uh, where is the best place for people to? Uh, follow your work to pick up the book and to learn about uh, and, and maybe what are some other uh, books or papers that, that you've been involved with that you'd like to encourage people to check out as well if they enjoyed exercised. Well, I mean, the easiest thing to do is go to, you can go just Google me. You can find my website or go to Google Scholar. I think probably most of your listeners know about Google Scholar. Just get on Google and type in Google Scholar and you can type my name and you can probably get almost all of my papers. Um, just download them for free. So um, uh, the paper I'm most famous for, that, uh, or the two papers I'm most famous for, one is the Born to Run paper in 2004 with Dennis Bramble, which I, we argued that humans evolved to run long distances. And uh, that's you know in the public domain. It's easy to get. And then in two 2010, we wrote, published a paper also on the cover of Nature about barefoot running, which got a lot of got a big debate going. Uh, so, you know, that's what people, most people know me for. But uh, the book is available, you know, exercise is available, you know, anywhere right now. You can get on Amazon or whatever. Go, go support your local bookstore, maybe. Yeah, your local bookstore. That's a good idea. But there's lots of places to get it. And um, um, I also published a few years ago uh, in 2013 a book called The Story of the Human Body, Evolution, Health, and Disease. And that's really about mismatched diseases and, and the sort of the story of human evolution and stuff like that. So it's a kind of very different book. Um, so those are both, I think, hopefully fun, popular reads and, and um, um, good ways to, to find out about how you know, evolution matters, right? We often don't think about evolution when we think about all the things that we do. But you know, we weren't... You know, if you want to understand how and why we are the way we are, you have to understand that evolutionary story that got us there. And that evolutionary theory and evolutionary data are really profoundly important for, for thinking about health and disease and so many other aspects of being human. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really enjoyed this conversation. A lot to nerd out on, and I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy the dive. So find exercise wherever you get your fine books, and we really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.